It was bound to happen. A new horse racing safety reform bill has been introduced in the California State Assembly. We'll debate the bill with its author, as well as a renowned California-based trainer. Plus, we'll remember a young girl in upstate New York whose heroes were the jockeys of the Saratoga Riding Colony. It's all straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll side. And they're off. As they move to the top of the straight, it's a hit-bombing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. Think it'll help the Mensa members at America's Best Racing include us in the Fan Choice Awards this November? Well, if you give us good reviews, then it's not our fault if we're not included. It was inevitable that, after last winter's spike in equine fatalities at Santa Anita in Southern California, state lawmakers would attempt to legislate increased safety measures for horses and riders throughout the state. And so, in mid-February, a member of the California State Assembly, Ash Kalra, a Democrat from San Jose, introduced Assembly Bill 2177, which he calls the Equine Welfare and Safety in Horse Racing Act. This is actually the second such bill introduced this year. The state Senate has also introduced a measure, Senate Bill 800, aimed at reform in the sport. The bill has the backing of a couple of advocacy groups, most notably the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. Now, horse racing fans and principals are not exactly supporters of PETA, but you would be wise to judge this bill not by who backs it, but by what's in it, and whether the industry of thoroughbred racing would benefit by instituting it. So what exactly is in this bill? And how does it compare with reforms that Santa Anita officials have already begun implementing? Let's get a sense of the bill and its potential ramifications by welcoming in, first, the author of Assembly Bill 2177, California State Assemblyman Ash Kalra, and also, to give us the horseman's perspective, Hall of Fame trainer Richard Mandela. Welcome to both of you. One of the changes proposed in the bill is to convene a panel of independent veterinarians and stewards to review the medical, training, and racing histories of horses entered to race that panel could declare a horse unfit to run. Assemblyman Kalra, who would be paying these stewards and vets in order for them to be independent? Well, we would hope to get veterinarians and other experts that wouldn't be doing it specifically you know, for the money. It's not unusual uh, in our state or any other governmental jurisdiction to have folks that can offer expertise. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, obviously there won't be some compensation for time, but it's not really an, an effort to create new, you know, full-time, high-salary jobs. Quite to the contrary, what we want are people that are interested in the issue, that have expertise in the issue, to offer an independent analysis based upon the medical advice and uh, the science. And so it's not a matter of kind of creating a whole new bureaucracy, but rather a way of creating independence as to what the conditions of the horses are. Mr. Mandela, from a trainer's standpoint, 
What would you think if these vets and stewards were not paid by the track operator, be it Santa Anita, Del Mar, or a state fair promoter, but instead by the state government or they were volunteers? I'd say it would be fine as long as they went through uh, somebody like Greg Ferraro, who's the now chair of the CHRB and a very well-recognized, respected veterinarian uh, who's been associated with the University of Davis for many years. The bill calls for several added elements, most notably a pharmacy on site at the track to dispense medication as needed. That would prohibit vets from coming onto the property with medication of their own. Assemblyman Kalra, how did you come up with that idea? That is an idea I believe that is used at some international racetracks. But we found was that part of the issue is that you're having pharmaceuticals that are being used that are masking injuries. And so the more we have a sense of what uh, is being used and in what dosage and for what purpose, I think the better we have a sense of, of what is causing injuries and deaths. And it allows those uh, veterinarians that are actually at the race sites to have the opportunity to have a full evaluation. So it's not a matter of, you know, trying to be overly prescriptive just for the purpose of having regulation, but I think it allows each track to have the ability to really know uh, what is being dispensed to each individual horse and to have the justification for it because oftentimes these deaths are caused because you're masking some of the injuries. And that's why we want the veterinarians, the medical professionals to have the best information possible. And part of that is ensuring that the medication that's being prescribed is very well documented and reviewed. How has that measure been received by horsemen at Santa Anita, Mr. Mandela? You know, I've heard people say, how, how can that work? And to be honest, I don't know the answer. That's probably something more directly that the veterinarians will have to address. I don't know that it would be a bad thing, but I'm not a veterinarian, so I I don't think I can answer that really in the best form. Other measures the bill would include are cameras in every stall and CT scan equipment on site. We've detailed on this show how Santa Anita has gone way beyond that now with a PET scanner. Assemblyman Kalra, would track operators be paying for those or... Would they come from the CHRB or else from where? Uh, we would expect that the track operators would do uh, would pay for that. But that being said, as you indicated, and I had had the opportunity to visit Santa Anita, uh, they're already moving in that direction. Uh, I had the chance to actually review some of the facilities. Uh, I had a chance to take a look at one of the uh, nuclear scan devices that they have and speak to a couple of the veterinarians that actually work on site at Santa Anita. And so these additional scans, I believe, would be a great improvement to the ability for the ability for the on-site veterinarians, as well as the trainers and others that are caring for the horse to really have an understanding of what the horse's condition is so that we're not inadvertently racing horses that aren't properly healed. We're chatting here on In the Gate with California State Assemblyman Ash Kalra, who's introduced a measure aimed at amping up horse safety and welfare, as well as Hall of Fame trainer Richard Mandela to give us the horseman's perspective. Mr. Mandela, one of the other elements of the proposed bill involves racing surfaces. It says that the track surface should be prohibited for use for seven days or until the board deems the surface safe 
if the track surface has to undergo sealing or reinforcement, quote, that is not considered regular maintenance. What do you think about that? Uh, I'd say it's overkill. It's a it's an overreaction. And, you know, the world needs to understand that since the onset of the terrible month we had back a year ago, there surely has been some overreaction and overcorrections. And sometimes you can get yourself in trouble by doing too much. So I think if, if people rationalize their thoughts, they can look that over and realize that's got to be a possibility. The bill has some pretty steep penalties for trainers. A trainer would be suspended whenever a horse dies while in the trainer's care, pending a board investigation. Mr. Mandela, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll just use myself as an example. I've trained for since 1974, and up till this year, I'd had one horse die of a heart attack. This year, I've had two. And believe me, I'll open my own investigation. I'd do anything to know what happened. So far, we can't find anything that we can identify. But I have a Hall of Fame career that's that I'm pretty proud of, and you can imagine the disgust and embarrassment and would make a person want to give up if they were faced with that kind of unfairness. Will trainers leave California over something like that? I think it's already happening. Like Doug O'Neill going to uh, Dubai? Yeah, he also went to Oakland Park, and there's a lot of money there is one of the reasons. But there's been a couple of trainers that have either split their stable or moved, and, you know, they're going to they're gonna force us out of here. Racing's been a rich culture of California and has a great history. Great people have been involved with it through the years, and some extremists are trying to run that into the ground, and that's a shame. And who do you consider extremists? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that correction wasn't due. But we are all trying our hardest, and uh, there's no lack of effort from the racetrack to the horsemen to the veterinarians. And there, there are improvements in the last year, and they'll get better. Assemblyman Kalra, would you argue that these reforms completely eliminate the risk associated with horse racing? Absolutely not. I don't think you can eliminate the risk altogether. Just That would be like saying you could eliminate risk in football or any other sport that either has contact or very vigorous physical activity. You can't. But what you can do is create a system that could be a model. And we're trying to make California the safest place for horse racing for both the horses and the riders in a manner that I believe can be done while preserving the industry. Because the great risk is that if we don't do anything, that there's going to be an outcry if deaths continue to occur of just banning it outright. And I don't want to see that. What I want to see is an industry that takes this seriously. And we're already seeing with the Stronic Group, for example, in Santa Anita, they are taking this very seriously. Uh, we've been talking with them as well as trainers and um, other representatives to really get all the information that we need in order to move forward with legislation. And as far as some of the details of legislation, look, legislation changes as it goes through the process based upon feedback. So, for example, our original 
uh, legislation had a, a piece about the riding crop, and we removed that because we really want to focus on what we can do to reduce the overall number of deaths. And we know that the Horse Racing Board is looking at the riding crop issue and will allow them to uh, do their due diligence with the feedback from the tracks and the trainers and what have you. But I say that to make it very clear that uh, we're not out to get the industry. Quite to the contrary, we want to make sure this is an industry as safe as possible, uh, but given the natural, understandable physical toll that it takes no matter what you do. And any trainer so says this bill, who accrues three medication violations would have his or her license suspended or revoked. So let's start with Mr. Mandela on this point. What are your thoughts here? I'm not saying that that shouldn't be considered, but the people talking about that need to realize we're dealing with a lot of minimum wage employees. They didn't go to USC or UCLA. We're just hardworking people, basically pretty simple. And doing the best we can, and if there are mistakes that will happen, surely there should be a escalating fine that, that goes with that kind of a problem. You know, but taking somebody's livelihood and putting a mark on their career like suspension is a pretty severe blow. And now, now saying that, if it's an illegal medication, I have no sympathy. That's fine. But if you're talking about just a, a day's withdrawal that you made a mistake on, again, we're dealing with a lot of minimum wage employees. We do the best we can, but we're not scientists. Would those employees be involved in the dispensing of medication? Uh, they can be. Uh, generally, no. Um, but when you're trying to, you know, I have a barn of 40 horses constantly. I have about 40 people that work for me that take care of those horses. Can you imagine that kind of an effort? You know, and with that, you've got, you know, some high-ranking employees and you've got some lowers and, you know, you know, sometimes you're in a hurry to get something done and you ask the lower guy to do it and a mistake is made and it can happen. So I'm not saying it's not worth fining and, and having a severe escalation, but Let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Assemblyman Kalra, what's your response to that? Well, you know, I have great respect uh, for Mr. Mandela as a uh, Hall of Fame uh, trainer, and, and I certainly am open to his suggestions and thoughts, positive and negative, <laughs> on, on the bill and, and how the bill can be improved. Uh, we, we definitely want to uh, continue to work with the industry on making it a bill that makes sense and that is not overly punitive. Uh, and so, you know, right now, this is the original draft of the bill. We do think there has to be accountability as part of the bill. If you don't have accountability, uh, you, you don't see behavior change that's positive either. And so if there are suggestions as to other ways there could be accountability without uh, that type of punitive measure, I'm all ears. And I'm willing to work with anyone in the industry that suggests that there might be better ways. This is how we perceive uh, accountability being most effective is to put some responsibility on the trainers, not that they don't care about the horses, not that they don't know about their horses better than anyone, but at the end of the day, um, you, you need to have some form of accountability as well as some form of improvement in the way uh, current operations are occurring because uh, right now the, the number of deaths that are occurring is unsustainable to really imagine an industry that's going to be able to continue here or anywhere else we want to have California be the model state that can be replicated around the nation so that there's one rule 
that everybody will eventually go by. And that's why uh, we're having conversations with, you know, national voices as well. And we know that the Strona Group and others do have a voice and a presence in other parts of the nation. And we want to make sure that as we move forward, we have a set of rules that are fair and reasonable, provide due process, but at the same time, really deal with the, the number of horses that are uh, dying on the track as well. You were talking about the industry. Well, Assemblyman Kalra, in response to Santa Anita's much-publicized issues last year, you probably know there are pushes being made by other entities, both official and ad hoc, in the name of enhanced safety and welfare of horses. The Thoroughbred Safety Coalition, which includes both Santa Anita and Del Mar, Mm -hmm. as well as several other major tracks, is one of those initiatives. The Horse Racing Integrity Act, which would create a quasi-federal agency for drug-testing horses, is making its way through Congress in Washington, although we all know that Congress can't get anything done. How do you see your bill, in conjunction with California's Senate Bill 800, fitting into this new landscape? Well, you know, I think that part of the process of working in the legislature is working with our colleagues, and different colleagues can have different ideas and different approaches to achieve similar goals. And so I I respect my colleagues greatly and look forward to working with them. I also want to give great credit to the tracks, the Strona Group uh, in Santa Anita. We've seen Del Mar has actually had a very low level uh, of of injury and deaths, and maybe there's something we can learn from what they're doing. But this is not an effort to blame any one entity or group, whether it be trainers or the tracks or what have you. We really want to create uh, policies and put policies in place that have enough oversight that's independent and fair uh, that keeps horses that shouldn't be on the track from racing on those tracks. And if there are issues with the conditions of the tracks, then we have to make sure we're doing everything we can to have best practices regarding uh, track conditions as well. And so um, if you know, we have senators or other assembly members that have other ideas, whether they're introducing bills or coming to us and offering their suggestions or their uh, criticisms with our approach, you know, I'm all ears, and I'm really trying to put forward something that I believe can be a template that works. I know that there are some trainers that aren't very happy with the state doing anything, um, but the reality is that a regulation is necessary in every industry, and we know the governor is paying very close attention uh, to what's happening at these tracks, and we want to be helpful in the process of getting to a place where we can have a very successful industry for many years to come while reducing horse deaths as dramatically as possible. So, Mr. Mandela, you'll get the last word here in our discussion. Are all of what we've mentioned, these proposed bills, the Thoroughbred Safety Coalition, the Horse Racing Integrity Act, are these all just lipstick on a pig? Or do you think that any or all of them can make racing safer for horses and riders? I respect anybody that's trying to improve safety or do better for racing and horses or animals in general, but with a reasonable approach. And remember, you're dealing with people's livelihoods. These horses are our lives. I don't go home and go out with friends at night to go to the ball games or anything like that. I go to work and I'm with my horses or I'm with my family. And they're basically two and the same. So... We're doing the best we can, and people need to realize that kind of effort is out there. And, again, I'm full support of trying to improve and setting up rules and setting up penalties, but have a little bit of understanding in what goes on. 
It is unclear exactly when Assembly Bill 2177 and Senate Bill 800 will be put before subcommittees in their respective houses, but it will likely be sometime in the next few months. Assemblyman Ash Kalra of San Jose and Trainer Richard Mandela, thank you both so much for weighing in on this. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, she was a special young girl who considered jockeys, especially those at Saratoga, to be her heroes. We'll remember a woman who was one of the sport's biggest fans, so don't go away. Welcome back to In the Gate. Jackie Holcomb was a 50-year-old woman from Niskayuna, New York, which is an hour or so southwest of Saratoga Racecourse. She loved animals, and she actually owned a pleasure horse named Jazz. But in particular, Jackie loved seeing the horses and riders at Saratoga. In mid-February, Jackie Holcomb passed away in a nursing and rehabilitation facility. She battled numerous health problems for several years. Including a heart that stopped beating three years ago while she was in a rehab facility, according to her GoFundMe page, doctors took four tries to resuscitate Jackie, and in so doing, broke five of her ribs and collapsed one of her lungs. So you get the idea. The kind of hero worship she had for jockeys is common at stick and ball games all the time, but it is not as common in horse racing. Even rarer is when several of the stars get to know that particular fan. If you've ever been to Saratoga, you'll understand that even though it is arguably the premier race meet in the country, the relaxed atmosphere allows for greater fan interaction. In this case, many of the best jockeys in the world, the ones who ride at Saratoga, came to know Jackie over the years. One of them is Hall of Fame rider Edgar Prado. Who joins us for a few moments here on In the Gate to remember Jacqueline Holcomb? What was it like talking with her? Well, she was very extremely nice fan. You know, since I've been going to Saratoga, she always welcomed me with a picture of the previous year, or a picture that she took it from somewhere and wanted me to sign it or to share it with me. She always cared about the jockeys. She get along with everybody, you know. And it was very pleasure to see her every year at the racetrack. We can see how much she really enjoyed be around the jockeys, be around the horses, and the whole atmosphere there. But I mean, of all the fans you've ever encountered over your long and illustrious Hall of Fame career, what made her stand out? Uh, she was very loving person. She was sincere when she said something. She don't try to do anything for her advantage. She only trying to be a friend and trying to welcome you at the racetrack. So, what sorts of things would she do when you would see her? Oh, she always come and give me a hug. Like I said, she bring a picture from the year before, or she bring a camera. We take a picture together, and she share the memories, not only with me, you know, with all the different riders. Would you talk about her with other riders from time to time? Yeah, we gather together and we take a picture, you no, know, for her. And we always say that she's very nice, and everybody agree with her. How often would you see her or FaceTime with her? Well, when I was uh, riding over there, I see during the meet two times, and then when I leave, I stay with touch with uh, his uh, son, 
And then when I find out that he was uh, in bad shape, I took the time to go to the hospital and see her. But then um, the last couple of years, I haven't gone to Saratoga, and I've been working here in Florida and Maryland, so I didn't have a chance to, to go over there. But time to time, we, we FaceTime, and we, we get a chance to talk a little bit. You know? At the time, she wasn't doing that great. She only can hear me, but she couldn't reply. Now, riders like you have busy schedules, working horses in the morning, riding in the afternoon, and at Saratoga until last year, that was six days a week. What made you want to take time out of your busy schedule to talk or FaceTime with Jackie? Well, it's kind of hard to be successful, you know, in, in this career. It's kind of hard to to achieve something. But if you achieve all this alone, what's the point? We have to bring in something back to our fans that they, they go to the track and it cheers up every time that we go to ride. I mean, what's a little five minutes of my time to bring happiness to someone that really looking looking after us? And I mean, we are in the business where the fans are very important. Hall of Fame writer Edgar Prado joins us here on In The Gate. So how did it make you feel when you would talk with her? I, I, feel, I feel good about it. You know? And she gave me... A, motivation to continue because I know she was struggling, she was fighting, but when I talked to her, she gave me motivation to continue. If I have a bad day, you know, I use her as my strength to move forward. And I think that she was great for the business. She was great for the writers. She was great for me in particular. And she would be missing a lot. How many fans or spectators would you say you've developed that kind of relationship with, like you had with Jackie? And I try to be nice to a lot of people, a lot of the fans, you know, regardless the status, uh, the status of they are, rich or poor, you know. I just try to treat everybody the same with respect and trying to make them welcome in the horse racing business. Now, you're just a couple of years older than Jackie Holcomb was. You'll turn 53 in June. But I saw that you were denied a license to race in Saudi Arabia last year because of your age. Did you try to convince the authorities there that age is just a number? Because, you know, some of us really do believe that. Well, that was a misquote because um, they don't deny the license. They denied insurance. The insurance only covered from age to 16 to 50. You're allowed to ride if you have your own insurance or the people that you go to ride for, they bring or they buy insurance for you. So that was um, the misunderstanding. And, but I wasn't denied the license. I was able to ride, but then I had to get a separate insurance to cover me. His age really is just a number, just so those insurance people, you know, understand that. Well, what does it say about the jockey colony in Saratoga that they had so many reached out to Jackie Holcomb when she was alive and now even after she's gone? Well, like I said, she was a very nice lady. She, she was nice to everybody. And she's been going to the track since, I don't know, maybe when Cordero was riding. She got a picture with Cordero, Santos, Maple, Julie Cron, Johnny Velasquez, and so on. Many pictures, you know, some so much memorabilia. I think she loves me around the, the jockeys. She loves Saratoga. And like I said, all the jockeys love her. 
Well, we appreciate your sharing some memories, and we wish you continued good health and success. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Edgar Prado, Richard Mandela, and Assemblyman Ash Kalra. Two decades ago, I interviewed Tommy Trotter at his home. It was one of my more memorable afternoons because Tommy's mind was filled with tons of colorful stories, the sport's unofficial historian for many moons. Eddie Arcaro, the master writer, was one of Tommy's main guys. He wrote Citation to win the Triple Crown. After Big Size Rider and Tommy's father were lost in a boat in Florida, no one knows what happened. Presumably, they drowned. Tommy Trotter couldn't do today what made him famous, assigning heavy weights for handicaps. He made the great Forgo once tote 137 pounds. Try that now and you'd be embroiled in a testy flap. Tommy Trotter's passing at the age of 93 reminds us when racing was a big part of the American quilt. Tommy was a foundation upon which the industry rested through his dedication and the relationships he built. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn.com, the Little Pink Podcatcher app on your phone, and the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And remember to rate and review the show. That helps with our visibility on the Internet, and maybe even we'll get the folks at America's Best Racing to recognize us, though we may see Haley's Comet before then. But you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time. <laughs>